Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message. Our hope is that you would not only feel inspired, but that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 1, verse 9. And we're going to bounce around in Genesis. Y'all ready? See, if, if I would have done in true fashion, I'd have said, if you're ready, say yeah. yeah. If you need time, say hola. Yeah. All right. See, it's on the screen. I got it. I got it. <laughs> Genesis 1 9, and it says this. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and he saw that it was good. Verse 12, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which their seed each according to its kind, and God saw that it was And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was, let's go to Genesis 2. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, speak to us. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living, it is active, it is powerful. God, it has the ability to change not only us, but the world around us. So today we lean into you. We lean into your word in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, Speaking of things that are not good, y'all know your pastor loves Orange Theory, yes? Any Orange Theoryites out there? One of you. Okay, two of you. Two of you. I understand. Uh, Pastor Robert called me uh, one day, and he said, hey, 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 here's the deal. Uh, Orange Theory is about to become our thing. I was like, nah. (laughs) He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to get up at 5 a.m. every morning, and this is going to become our thing. I was like, I don't know what you think a thing is, but I don't want to be a part of that thing. But he kept pushing and he's a persistent person. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get ready. And so I started going to Orange Theory on my own. I got ready. uh, And then I was ready for when it was time for us to work out. Uh, But I don't know if you know this about Orange Theory or not, but uh, they place labels on people. They do. Thank you. Somebody, he agrees with me. They place labels on people. If you've ever been there, you will know that there are runners, there are joggers, and there are walkers, power walkers to be exact. Uh, And so we were getting ready to work out, uh, and I walked up to him and I said, hey, listen, man, before we start, I need you to know something. I am a power walker walker. He goes, oh man, running's so good for you. That's how you get all these abs. That's how you look ripped. I'm like, no, 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 no. I know it's good for me. I know I should do it, but I am a power walker. Anybody walk in here? Anybody hate running in here? I do not like running. (laughs) I said, I'm a power walker. I need you to know that up front. He just smiled, laughed. We get to Orange Theory. We pull in and they said, all right, is everybody ready? I was like, yeah, what are we doing today? So we're running the benchmark mile. 
basically, how fast can you run the mile? I was like, oh Lord, here we go. We walk into the room, we get on the treadmill, we're next to each other for some reason, and I look at him and I mouth, I'm walking. He just looked and he took off. Did y'all know uh, Pastor Robert has a nickname at Orange Theory? He does. He does. He has a nickname. Uh, the coach calls him Flash. So Flash takes off in a dead sprint for the mile run. And I'm sitting there power walking. And then all of a sudden, in the back of my mind, I remembered something. I remember he said, he was, he was talking to me about preaching. He said, Jordan, never miss a moment to find an illustration. And all of a sudden I went, oh, he's going to turn me into a sermon illustration. I could hear it right now. I could hear him. He'd be like, ooh. <laughs> you can't let those who are walking ha, stop you from running the race that God has called you to. Hey. I could hear it in my head. I could hear it. I was like, it is not happening today. Not today, Satan. I won't do it. So all of a sudden, as he's sprinting, and he, he punches. He punches the air while he runs, too. He does. I was like, running next to Flash and Rocky. I'm like, I'm not doing this today. I started bumping up, and I went from my power walk to a jog, and I went from my jog to a run, and I ran the whole mile and didn't die. Come on, somebody. And then we went back the next day. <laughs> I said, what are we doing today? They said, uh, run for distance. You got to run for 23 minutes straight. <laughs> Jesus, help me. I said, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Again, we're on the treadmill next to each other. And I just look at him. And he looks at me. And I heard the greatest words I've ever heard. No condemnation. And I walked. I walked the whole time. I power walked the whole 23 minutes of that. <laughs> I walked the whole time. Because my, I'm telling you, I wouldn't have made it. <laughs> I would not have made it. But the next day I came back, I ran. And the day after, I ran again. And what I realized was that I was never in competition with him. But he was there trying to help me be better. He knew when I needed rest. He knew when I needed to be pushed. He, made, he helped make me be a better version of me. And I think many times we look at the people around us and we feel like we have to compete. Our whole lives we're told, do it better. How are they? Do it better. How can you be better? The objective is to win no matter what it takes. There's a problem with this. If we think we have to do it better than the people around us, then if we don't do it better than them, then for some reason we feel like we don't measure up. We feel like we're inadequate. Lately, I've been asking myself this question, and this is a hard question for me to ask because I'm a competitive person. Listen, if we're playing games, I'm trying to kill you, okay? I'm trying to take you out. But in the game of life, is competition healthy? There was, a, there was a study uh, by Harvard, uh, and it talked about uh, highly competitive businesses and school environments. And it says this, uh, Amy C. Edmonds, she's a writer for Harvard Business, and she said that organizations often ignorantly send the wrong message, hence nullifying any supposed gains. 
the explicit and intended message of highly competitive environments is that hard work is needed to be successful here. The implicit and perhaps unintended message is that your success occurs when others fail. In a competition, others must lose if you are to win. And self-preservation is a powerful, powerful force. We have entered into this place of restlessness because we are always competing with one another. We would love to do life with the people around us, but we find it too draining because we always feel like we have to measure up. With those that I'm called to be in community with, I, 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 either, I either push those in my community down so that I could win, or I've lost and I feel inadequate around the community that I belong to. And I wonder, what has this done to us? Because many of us can't find a rest in the community and the comfort of the community that we're called to because we feel the need to compete. And we look at this text in Genesis and we see that God made all things good except for one thing. Listen, God, God, wasn't, God wasn't sitting there going, you know what, Adam, you know what you need? Everything is good, but you know what you need? You need a competitor. You need to wake up one day, every day. You need to wake up, look at them and go, I'm not good enough. I've got to be better. I've got to try harder. I've got to raise my level of excellence. I've got to raise my level of leadership. I've got to raise myself up because God gave me a competitor. No. God said it's not good because you don't have a helper. And if we're not careful, the line between competition and collaboration becomes very, very blurry. Here's a good way to tell uh, if the people that you're in relationship with are your competitors or your collaborators. Ready? Uh, if you win and they rejoice, they're your, they're your collaborators. If you lose and they pick you up and encourage you and tell you to keep going again, they are your collaborators. If you win and they talk about you. Yeah, I'm trying. Some of y'all ain't... If you lose and they say, I told you, I told you they'd mess up, didn't I tell you? You think I'm just coming for other people's heads. I'm coming for yours too. If the people who you're around, when they win and you go, I should have got that promotion. That's supposed to be mine. They didn't work hard for it. I, I deserved it. If they fall and you look at them and you say, I told you, you were prideful and arrogant. I told you. We have to understand we were meant to be in collaboration with people, never in competition. We can't compliment if we're competing. Listen, uh, I can't or rather won't help you if we're in competition, right? I won't. If we're in a competition, I'm not helping you. If we're in competition, or you think we're in competition, and I go to help you, you're going to think that I have a hidden motive. You're going to think that there's an agenda in my helping you. So if you think there's an agenda, anybody been there before? He wants to help me. Why do they want to help me? Why are they trying to help me? What are they trying? What do they want from this relationship? And so they, we try and help, but you think because we're in competition, you look at it negatively and you have no trust. And where there is no trust, there cannot be 
unity. And God has called us to be united. I, I was watching, I, I was scrolling through Instagram. Everybody else guilty? <laughs> scrolling through Instagram two days ago, and this uh, came across my feet. Can you pull up this? I'm sure many of you saw it. Can you pull this up? Everybody see this? Pa pause right there. So this is a Paralympic athlete. This is his guide. The Paralympic athlete is in the race. The guide can't be in the race if it's not for the Paralympic athlete. The Paralympic athlete can't run the race without the guide. These two are moving in perfect unison and unity. But here's what trips me up. What if the guide got in competition with the runner? Actually, he'd be disqualified because the guide can't pull the runner further than the, than the runner is going. He can only guide him. So if the guide tries to go without the runner, they're disqualified. But if the runner, what if he tries to go without the guide? He won't know where he's going. They need each other to move in unity. They need each other to work together to finish and do what they were called to do. And these two men, because of their unity, finished and won gold in the Paralympics. Listen, collaboration is important. God blesses. God breathes on. God smiles at unity. He wants unity within the body. He saw one thing, one thing when he created everything, and he said, this is not good. He said, I've not found man a suitable helper. I haven't found him someone to help him. And we have to understand, listen, God isn't making mistakes. He wasn't up there being like, lights, water, mountains, vegetation, animals, man, ah, I'm missing an ingredient. What I do. He wasn't missing anything. He did this to highlight the fact you need someone else. I hear people all the time, all I need is Jesus, mm, just me and the Lord. No, you don't, boo-boo. You need somebody else, okay? Here's how I know it's true. Here's how I know it's true. Because Adam walked in the garden in perfect communion with God. In perfect communion with God. And yet God looked and said, you need someone else. And I'm going to be honest. I always read this text with the understanding or the thought that Adam needed help to work the garden. That Adam needed help to work with the animals. Like, that's a lot of animals and a lot of garden, right? I don't know about you, but I got one cat and we had one eight by eight garden and I struggled, okay? I'm saying they died, they didn't grow anything. And I'm thinking, yeah, you need some help for all of that. But if we look, Genesis 2.15, will, will you pull it up? It says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. That's why I thought that Adam needed a helper to work it and to keep it. But this is Genesis 2. This is within the context of everything still being perfect. Adam didn't need to work the ground. The ground worked itself. 
We see in Genesis 3 that the result of sin was man having to work and labor for his food. So what in the world is actually happening here when God says you need a suitable helper to work and keep? And so I started reading, I started studying and, and realized that, that they say that work and keep is actually a, I don't want to say poor, but a not well used translation of the original language. The original language would more clearly depict that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to worship and obey. To worship and obey. Adam needed someone to help him worship. Adam needed someone to help him obey. We need people, listen, to help us worship. We need people to help us obey. Three of y'all are excited about this. The rest of y'all are still in competition with people because you're trying, I'm trying, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. He called us to this. We weren't meant to do it alone. I need somebody to hold me accountable every week to say, hey man, how are you doing in your walk with the Lord? Hey, man, I didn't see you worshiping today. Hey, man, is something going on? Can I help you? When we get into small groups, we got connect groups that are getting ready to launch today, and you say, hey, how do I help you in this moment? He needed, we needed help to worship and obey. And it's in community that we find greater understanding of who God is. I can't know everything I need to know about God through my own life. Sometimes I need to look through the lens of somebody else. You ever been in a place where you're like, I need a healer right now? Ah, I saw him healing somebody else's life. I've seen it. Or, or maybe you're saying, I, I need restoration in a relationship, and, and, and I don't know if I have the faith to do it yet, but if you were in the context of community, you could say, but I've seen him restoring someone else's life. This, this is why the, 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 the centurion who told Jesus, just speak the word and go. The centurion never met Jesus. He never spent time with Jesus. He never had a relationship with Jesus. But within the context of his community, his faith was strengthened, and he said, listen, I know who you are, and I know what you've done because the people around me have told me, so you don't have to even walk into my house. All you have to do is speak the word, and I know it will be done. This is why we need community. I need someone else so I can see God better, so that I can worship God better, so that I can obey him better. Now, I know what y'all are thinking. They still messed up. Eve still ate the apple. We all blame Eve, huh? But Adam was right there with her. You, come on, I'm trying to tell him. He was sitting right there with him. He was sitting right next to Eve and heard every word. He should have stopped him, but he didn't. You know why he didn't? Here's why he didn't, because the enemy tricked him. And he said this, he said, look, you don't need to be in collaboration with God. You should compete with him. You should compete with him. A Genesis, uh, you got it, Genesis, you got Genesis 3, 4? It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like 
God, knowing good and evil. Listen, he, God always wanted to collaborate with us. He still does. He said, look at everything I've created. Now I've given you authority. Take dominion. And some of us are still messing around doing the same thing. We're competing with the people who are next to us trying to be better. We're competing with God about who's in charge. And he's saying, if you would just work in collaboration with me, you would find rest. were moved into a place of, of, of competition, and they exited their Sabbath. They exited their rest, and it created a restlessness that's plagued us as humans. We see it right away. As soon as God says, what have you done? Adam goes, it's the woman. She, it's this woman you gave me. She did it. It was her fault, God. I knew what to do. Their children, the very first murder, was birthed out of jealousy because they were in competition. And every single thing that we do that puts us into a place of restlessness, at the root of it is because we're competing with people or with God. We're always competing. And as a church, gosh, I wish we'd compete less. Paul saw it. Listen, we think it's just something that plagues us now. Paul saw it in the early church. Uh, we, look at, we look at 1 Corinthians 13, and we always are like, oh, it's the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's the kind of person I'm looking for. Love is, does not envy. It is not proud. It does not boast. We think all of that, we, we normally relate it to a relationship between a man and a woman, husband, wife. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is actually a rebuke against the church. Paul's like, hey, quit being prideful. Quit thinking of only yourself. Quit, quit. Just work together. The chapter before, he says, hey, we're all one body working together in different parts. Listen, hands make awful feet. Feet make awful, awful hands, right? My eyes, they don't smell real well. My, o's, my nose doesn't see. My pinky toe, it's hidden. But it brings balance. It brings balance. We have to work together. If we would take the gifts and the talents that God has given us and use them appropriately in collaboration, not competition, we would be at rest. I saw this. If I could have worship, join me. I saw this so, so clearly in the life of, of my grandfather uh, this past Past year, 2020, he passed away. And at his funeral, I heard story after story. Oh, man. Gene. If it wasn't for Gene, we never would have. If he wouldn't have helped us, I don't know where we would be. Story after story after story after story. And, and, and as I sat there, I, I kind of looked back and I thought, you know, if somebody was an outsider, if somebody didn't know him, they would think that Gene was the pastor. Maybe Gene was, was one of the leaders in the church. 
Maybe Gene was a, a communicator. He wasn't. He was shy, and his mouth was unsanctified like many of you. <laughs> My grandfather was a farmer. That's what he did. I used to go in the cornfields and bean fields with him. I said that with a little draw, just because cornfields. <laughs> At the church, he unlocked the doors, he set up the chairs, he set up the tables. If something was broken, he fixed it. He had the gift of help. And when he passed, I know he entered into heaven and he heard the same words that were spoken to the Apostle Paul, to Billy Graham, to any great person of the faith. He walked into heaven and the Lord looked at him and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because he never got in competition with the body, but instead he rested in the gift that he was given and worked in collaboration. The greatest gift that you can be to the body is not to try and grab onto somebody else's gift. It's to take the gift that God has given you and use it to the fullest. It's to take the gift and say, God, I don't know how it seems small, it seems insignificant, but I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it so that I can be in a place of collaboration with this body. God has called us to collaborate, to complement. It was clear from the beginning, Genesis 1:26. this is how we were created. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. We were created in the image of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Listen, there was no competition in them. There was no striving in them. We see this so clearly in the life of Jesus because there he is at a, as a teenager and he says, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. He, he would pray things, he would say things, he'd go, I, I, not my words, I, I won't do anything on my own accord, but only what the Father tells me will I do. And so he did it, and he went to a cross, and he died on a cross, he went to the grave, and he rose victorious from that grave. And in his victorious state, he comes back and he's like, here I am, but I'm gonna go away, because someone greater is coming. It was like this perfect, and still is, dance of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit moving in unity, and we get to be a part of it. Because he's called us his body. So quit striving. Quit getting into competition with other people because we were created to collaborate. We were created to complement. We were created to be together. 
God's original design was for us to find rest in that. Real quick, can you put up uh, Genesis 2.15 again? I know we looked at this and we said the Lord God took man, put him in the garden of Eden. And we learned to worship and obey. It also says this phrase, God took man and put him in the garden. It says it gave the indication, not just that he placed him in a physical place, but it says that he placed him, the author was indicating that he placed Adam into his safety and rest. So if we were to read this again, uh, we would see that God put man in his safety and rest to worship and obey and God saw fit that we would operate best with the community. We would operate best in community. We were meant to do this together. We weren't meant to walk this walk of faith alone. We have greater opportunity to worship him and obey him more clearly and more fully within the context of those around us. So we can say things to each other. Hey, I'm gonna turn you from a power walker into a runner, but at a pace that you can sustain. There is no competition here, but instead collaboration. And there is rest in that. Maybe you're in here today. Maybe you haven't been involved in this because every time you come, you don't walk out feeling refreshed, uplifted, or encouraged, but you feel worse about yourself. you're competing and I just want to say today lay down any ideas of having to do it better lay down any ideas of having to compete with someone else instead say here I am here's the gift that I have I want to use it and as a community all of us together can do what God has called us to do moving in unity and finding rest in community. With every hip out and every eye closed. I just, I feel like the Lord has just asked almost for a healing moment. If you would say today, I've never found rest within the community of the church because I've never felt like I measured up. And so I've always withdrawn. But today, today I want to find healing and realize that I don't have to compete with the church. I can just be. I can collaborate. I can compliment. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? ultimate rest and that is rest in Jesus 
So if you're in here today and you say, I, I've never entered into a rest for my soul because I've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. But today, today I want to make that decision. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online, and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world. Remember, when you say yes to Jesus, you say yes to being social.